0: And I have my friend my new friend Vera bradova here who is a fascinating survivor of a near-death experience with a lymphoma treated with a, a novel uh, unconventional holistic therapy it's called Collie's toxins and she's going to tell the story of how it happened and what I'm doing in my personal education is I'm trying to Edu- get a full education as a naturopath, starting with Mercola's audios and progressing from there. But this is the first I've heard of Collie's toxins. So Vera, thank you very much for coming on. Um, tell us a little thank bit you. about your history. She says she is has had a Jack London-esque career, which I love that reference. So tell us about your background and then your story.
1: I was raised in Czechoslovakia, uh, ended up st- in, in America, because the Soviets invaded in 1968, and uh, and I've uh, basically had an adventurous life, exploring uh, various uh, careers and uh, traveling all over.
0: <laughs> you were in a commune for a while, right? Does that mean you're a communist?
1: <laughs> I'm an anti-communist, as you. Can. Can imagine growing up hippie, under communism?
0: Hippie. Commune. She is like my Eastern European friends, my other Eastern European friends. She is an intensely skeptical individual. And this is a great strength of yours. And and I, I've only known you for about an hour now, but that's my feeling about you. Is that correct?
1: Well, I'm, I'm basically an optimistic skeptic. <laughs> I, I think that the world is far more mysterious than we think. And, there are always surprises out there, but um, at the same time, uh, there's so much bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's one non sequitur after another, and it's purposeful. So they're they're trying to get us all so confused that they can round us up and uh, do whatever they want, uh, as far as right. I can tell. Yeah, right. Vera's exactly. been kind enough to follow my substack since about six to eight months ago. And so we're pretty much on the same page with a lot of things. But what year was it that you had your diagnosis of your lymphoma?
1: I was diagnosed uh, when I was 45 years old uh, in 1995.
0: And this thing gradually developed as intra-abdominal masses, right? And then you had a couple of courses of ordinary therapy.
1: Well, to to give a few more details, uh, the oncologist that Played a role in my diagnosis. Tried to push me into chemo right away, and uh, and I asked him for some information about the drugs that were going to be used. His nurse rummaged in the in the dusty closet and didn't come up with anything. So uh, I I got just a tad skeptical at that point. And uh, when I got over the shock of the diagnosis, I began to do a lot of research and discovered that uh, watchful waiting is, that was one of my lucky breaks, Uh, watchful waiting is uh, widely accepted as the first thing that you do after diagnosis. Uh, because there is no advantage of treating right away. There is a disadvantage because then when you really need it, you don't have it.
0: Do you remember the kind of lymphoma that you had? Did they tell you?
1: It was low-grade, non-Hodgkin's B-cell, low-grade follicular lymphoma, uh, stage four, because it was on both sides of my diaphragm and I had bone marrow involvement.
0: Jeez, sounds terrible. So, uh, you, you watched it for a while. How many years did that go on?
1: Uh, it was about six years before the lymphoma uh, started to cause me severe problems. I, I experienced a natural remission uh, sometime, a couple of years into this, uh, which is not uncommon. And uh, and this period of time when I was on watchful waiting, I did a lot of research. And that's one of the ways I saved my life, because when I had to deal with oncologists and hospitals, I knew a lot. And And towards the end of it, I also knew when to say no to more chemo, which would have killed me.
0: So how many courses of chemo did you have and what are the names of it and how long did they last and how bad was it?
1: I had the first course of CHOP-R uh, <clears throat> in the spring of 2002. And <clears throat> I chose, at that time, they were one of the drugs became available in liposomal form. And I thought, well, it's a newfangled thing. Maybe it'll give me an edge. Uh, it was a big mistake. Uh, I had real problems with it. My hands froze, which they warn you about, but I thought, well, maybe I'll luck out. Nope. Uh, and then uh, I only had two courses of it, three courses of Rituxin, which is the monoclonal antibody. They give you together. And then I collapsed and was hauled off to the hospital and was very ill with incredible pains. And uh, they treated me like a drug addict. I had to interrupt the chemo and had several different issues. Uh, Three months later, they diagnosed me with acute pancreatitis, finally. And so during all this time i'm very unwell and unable to normally function and so the chemo was the last thing i worried about uh they took out my gallbladder and i was in rehab for a while and got you know i had lost tremendous amount of weight and uh, anyway uh So I eventually got well from the pancreatitis and the other issues that I I had developed Guillain-Barre syndrome. I mean, I was dragging my foot behind. It was one thing after another. It was a terrible summer. So once I got well, a year later, I had a full treatment of CHOP-R, which is six times, uh, I, I believe they're three weeks apart. At that time, the cancer was quite active because the the previous treatment was uh, interrupted. So, so anyway, so here I am with quite active cancer, and they put me through these six uh, chop ours. Uh, I don't get full remission.
0: They a month apart. Huh? They're a month apart. The, I think
1: CHOP-Rs are, yeah, they're three weeks, then you do it for a week or so. Prednisone, cis uh, uh, Cisplatinum.
0: cisplatinum. I, I, I speculated that one of the drugs was cisplatinum.
1: No, no, I didn't have platinum until the last, the very last treatment, way back down the road. Uh, chop R is the first thing they put you through in lymphoma. And it's uh, cyclophosphamine. uh, I can't remember what the O is for.
0: So you had two or three years of this misadventure, with medical misadventures with standard therapy.
1: Well, yeah, it just kind of went on because... I was not the usual patient who would be in, in uh, remission for a number of years. Uh, it came, you know, I, I did the full treatment of CHOPRs, uh, got partial remission. And then <clears throat> and then uh, I think it was a year or two later, I managed to get m- myself into uh BEXAR, which is monoclonal antibody with radioactive iodine attached, and it's only two treatments. Uh, Then they put you in a special room with lead walls or whatever. Uh, There were not many doctors doing it. I found a doctor in New Jersey who who did, and uh, I got full remission out of that.
0: How long did that last?
1: It lasted only a little over a year and a half, I would say. Uh, The treatment was somewhat complicated by the fact that by that time I had lung involvement and they had to drain my lungs, uh, which was uh, quite an adventure. They stick a needle in your back and then this puffy fluid just runs out, (laughs) you know, like a whole bottle of, of like, milk milky coffee uh <laughs>
0: you've got yeah. the right attitude i've done that as a doctor for people but, with their, another problem but it, it does, i've never heard anyone describe it as an adventure
1: well it was they told me that the bexar wouldn't work until they drained my lungs you know and i think they were right so I sat there and let them drain me, and it didn't hurt at all, which was amazing. And so I thought, oh, well, this is so interesting. And so after that, a couple of weeks later, they did the Bexar, and then six months later, they tested me, and and uh, you know I had whatever uh, CAT scan, and there was no evidence of lymphoma. Uh, Another marker is LDH. Uh, You know, if you have normal LDH, that's good also. So I think this was the fall of 05. No. Well, I'm starting to lose track of the dates. Anyway, uh, I... uh, I moved to Utah shortly afterwards and, uh, oh yeah, it was 05. So I moved to Utah and uh, I had a good remission lasting a year and a half. And then I felt the cancer coming back and it was very fast. I... uh, from the time I realized that something was happening and then I had to transfer records from all different places that I've had records at uh, out on East Coast. And and by the time they got me in the hospital, they discovered that I had kidney issues. They put a stent in me. They put a stent in in my chest for the chemo. And by that time, I was very ill, I, I looked, I had ascites, you know, uh, to an extent, like a pregnant woman would uh, look. Uh, so, so again, they had to drain my belly before the treatment to get the ascites out. And which made me more comfortable. And then I began the treatment, which which was called rice. And that's when I got the cisplatin. So
0: So you you all told you had three years or four years of conventional therapy that gave you several remissions, but made you sick as hell. Well, uh,
1: the chemo, was nasty, you know, and you lose your hair every time and and all that, and you feel like crap, and you look worse, you know, you're pale and sick. But it wasn't as challenging as Coley's, I have to tell you that. I'll tell you that story soon.
0: So tell us the story of the last doctor interview with the traditional doctors.
1: Okay, so I was in Grand Junction, Colorado, Getting treated, and I went through. I was in the hospital for the, for the treatment because it lasted several days, and that was the rice treatment with cisplatin and rituxin and a couple of other things, uh, etoposide, something. Anyway, you can look at look up the acronym. Uh, so, so after the three treatments. We went, my caregiver and I went to Grand Junction to find out what happened because we were hoping that I could get into the bone marrow uh, program in Denver. And the doctor uh, looked at my results uh, and said that the situation looked very bad, that the chemo only beat the cancer a little bit. And I wouldn't be eligible for the bone marrow treat bone marrow program and and uh and he said that I should go home and straighten out my affairs and to talk to the hospice in in moab and we were just sitting there in shock, and I looked at him and I said, "Well, what about what what about?" a clinical trial and he said too late oh, I still dream you know, about going I, I I should go at Halloween and haunt this guy up in Denver. I really should. I've dreamt about it for years.
0: You can write <laughs> bad reviews of him online. Use your own name and, and tell the story.
1: So so I we went home in total shock and oh and he tried to sell me on more chemo that's the other part Uh, it was insane so he says you know he basically says that I'm dying and and then he tries to sell me on palliative chemo but you know they get 20%
0: of the they get 20% of the revenues from all sales of chemo drugs it's unique among doctors. It, if it it's were between falling. two physicians, it would be called capping, and it would be a felony. But between a pharma company and the doctor, they're allowed to give them a percent. So they're they're incentivized to sell as much of that stuff as you can, as they ah. can. True story. Ah. And, and these guys are now cracking four or five, 600,000, and it's all from the retailing chemo drugs. So anyway, sorry to interrupt your story. So here
1: I am. Sitting in his office and he knows that my bone marrow is hanging by a thread. I had like my platelets were like seven, you know. And I barely had, you know, any any of the other blood
0: uh, components,
1: blood markers. So so and and my kidneys are on the fritz right from from uh, the beginning of the treatment. Uh And so I look at him and I say, well, what are the side effects of these two drugs that you're recommending? And he says, well, they'll probably damage your kidneys and damage your bone marrow. And I'm going like,
0: not good. <laughs> you. And you had a belly full of uh pregnancies, including one that was probably 12 weeks or or larger, had a, in other words, the lymphomas had masses inside your abdomen. They were sticking out of your muscle wall.
1: Yes. At that point, um, I had a 14 centimeter uh, tumor in my vena cava area. And I had smaller tumors all over my belly and including palpable tumors in my groin.
0: So you did some research.
1: Oh, I had I did tons of research. I ran the first uh B-cell lymphoma uh, website on on the internet way in the old days.
0: You did. And and so tell us the story of how you discovered the collie's toxins.
1: Uh so so when I'm still doing watchful waiting and doing all this research, I was living in Philadelphia and I I had the good luck of going to Fox Chase Cantor Center and they let me copy everything for free. It was incredible. So, you know, so I was like spending my nights reading these medical uh, research articles and trying to piece the picture together. And I wrote about it on my website for other people because i felt that what what patients were being taught was so grim and so hopeless and i tried to put all that information together in a in a hopeful sort of framework you know because i mean there are some good parts you know some lymphomas are easier than others and and there are things you can do uh they, they tell you there's nothing you can do to make yourself healthier, which is another terrible thing. They tell you that right at the beginning. And that's not true. So anyway, um, so I was I was learn and I learned when I was doing this research that palliative chemo has never been researched. They don't have studies because, I mean, the people are dying. So why should you care? Right. Uh, you put your resources somewhere else. So when the doctor suggested palliative chemo I knew that he had nothing to back it up with and that made me made it somewhat easier to say no and even so it was extremely difficult i was in a terrible position i was scared and when they tell you, well, we could do this other thing, uh, there, there is a, there is very, there is a psychological push, you know. And I had to resist it, and I had to say, I know better, and I'm not gonna do that.
0: You know, very few people do your kind of research or have your kind of intellect to to pursue this stuff. So, you'd heard about this, um, we're all the way up into 2008 or something like this, and you had heard about the Collies uh, toxins uh, at least 10 years before, and you went back well, and looked was, at it. When
1: I was running the website, I decided that I was going to research all these crazy, weird, uh, alternative treatments. And I even bought some of them and tried them. And, you know, there's SCAC, which is this particular tea and, and the can <laughs> and all, you know, all these things. And so, and, and there was another treatment that a lot of lymphoma patients were interested that Dr. Brzezinski was doing way back. Um, I don't know if he's still around, but, uh, uh, it was some it was a treatment derived from urine, and you wore uh, the thing on you or the pump on you, and I uh, had to do that for a number of months. I had a friend who was doing it, and I found out that it wasn't working, so you know I was gathering all this data about what might be helpful and what might not be helpful and that's when I discovered colies. I discovered two treatments that worked. I discovered heat therapy, hyperthermia, which is not applicable to lymphoma, but they do use it in, say, if you had cancer in your arm, then you can overheat the arm and kill the cancer with the heat, uh, like localized melanoma, for example. So, and and then for for lymphoma, the only, hopeful thing I discovered was Coley's toxins. And so I researched the heck out of it. I, I, I called uh, Dr. Coley's daughter was still alive. And then I called her office in New York and, and spoke uh, with her secretary. And, uh, and I spoke with the man who also carried the torch. Coley's toxins uh, only been is only known because there were these torch bearers from the beginning dr coley first then his daughter and then a, a name then and then a man named wayne somebody i forget his name now but he he heard Co- dr coley present his cures at a, at a lecture in indiana and he told himself that when he retires he was gonna make the toxins and make them available to people and i spoke with him
0: so it's it's c-o-l-e apostrophe s t-o-x-i-n-s for the listeners it's c-o-l-e apostrophe s t-o-x-i-n-s for the listeners
1: c-o-l-e was the name of
0: the doctor yes holy sorry to sorry to interrupt you go ahead
1: Yeah. So so I talked to Wayne and at that time he was helping a doctor in Guatemala to make the toxins out of his garage or something, you know, and they were delivering the toxins to the hospital in Tijuana that I eventually went to. Uh, The toxins were, in in my opinion, not very effective. They looked different. They were yellow and Dr. Coley's toxins were purple. So I don't so what, know quite,
0: you know, they? but What were they? What was it exactly?
1: The 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 toxins are two bacteria, one gram negative and one gram positive. One is erysipelas and one is I think some form of strep, I forget.
0: And, and they were he killed they were killed, and they were well, combined in the solution.
1: Brought, um, the story says that he went directly to Germany to, to Dr. Koch's uh, laboratory and got some really virulent strains, and he cultured them on a slab of beef at home.
0: <laughs> and But the, the, the medication as given, they don't contain active bacteria. They're killed. So, the body stimulates a reaction against these uh, toxic uh, bacteria, but they're not live. They don't infect you, right? Well, the
1: the bacteria, as they grow on the meat, produce a fluid, and they microfilter the fluid, and that's what you inject. That's how I
0: understand. Yeah. And that stimulates a uh, fever reaction and various other things that we don't know about, right?
1: It it makes you quite ill. Uh, that's the drawback to uh Coley's toxins, you know, because it's not like comfortably sitting in a drip room at a doctor's office. You're, you're basically, uh, sh- you know, aspirating uh, the toxin into a needle, a, like a diabetic needle, uh, and then you have to inject. and you have to be careful you aspirate to make sure there's no blood coming in then you push it in and in the beginning i did it straight into my tumors uh i had tumors that i felt in my groin in my right groin and that's where i began the treatment
0: how many injections did you give yourself over what time period
1: I've never counted them. I I treated myself for a Well, I started treating every, every other day. Then I went to every third day, every fourth day. I had this schedule that I worked out because it made me so ill. I couldn't do it very frequently. In the hospital in Tijuana, they did it every, they would skip a day. So I was there for two weeks when they were teaching me to do this and they would do it Monday, Wednesday, and and Friday, and then off take the weekend off. So, So you had
0: nausea and vomiting or what you just felt really bad.
1: Well, the, the reaction is as follows. You shoot it into your body, uh, and, uh, Area where you inject it becomes very, very sore and swollen. So that's one bad aspect of it that goes away in several days. Kind of leaves a welt. Uh, But the main thing is that you get it's kind of like being hit with a horrible flu for about a day. Wow. And so I would shoot it at night. And then my caregiver would read me a story that tried to put it out of my mind. And I tried to fall asleep as soon as I could. So the worst aspects of it would be worked out during the night. And, and then the next day was pretty much lying down because I was ill and sore. And, uh, and then the next day I was getting better.
0: You know, you, this whole story and your attitude makes me think that perhaps you're here because of the power of positive thinking, like Norman Cousins or laughter or something like that. But I know it can't be true. So how long did the process take
1: Let me remark to that, that I when I studied what Dr. Coley did, which is, inc- it's an incredible story and somebody should make a movie about him. I had so much faith in him and what he did that I just kept repeating to myself, this will work. This will work. This and 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 I have to do it for three months to to see if it works. And and I kept it faithfully, despite all all the side effects, side effects that were just so unpleasant. You you basically, yeah, your whole body hurts like uh, during a flu, Uh, you know, the shot hurts, uh, your head hurts, Uh, I mean, it just you feel like crap. (laughs) Oh, and, and the other thing, the other thing, doctor, is that it gives you the shakes because you get the fever. So you get the chills and there you are shaking, you know, I had to get a special blanket to keep myself warm.
0: How long did the whole process take and at what point did you decide that was enough and you're just going to see how you do?
1: Well, I did this for a year.
0: Oh and my then, god. And then
1: uh so I have no idea how many times, you know, I basically every
0: other day for a year. 150 uh, days I, of shooting yourself.
1: After, and and I I was doing cat scans every 3 months uh because I had gone through a clinical, I forgot to tell you that I did find a clinical trial before I went to Mexico, which made me better. Um, okay, it was, it was a monoclonal antibody. I knew it wasn't going to hurt my bone marrow or anything, you know. And so I went through eight weeks of a Danish clinical trial for a novel monoclonal antibody. Uh, The results were is that the cancer shrank just a tiny bit. And then I went to make I felt better. I felt, you know, because by that time I was getting skin, uh, horrible skin problems, which is one of the issues in late lymphoma, you start itching all over and you wake up (laughs) and there's blood all over your bedding, you know, and that kind of thing. So so the clinical trial made me better, and I had the strength to go to Mexico. So that's the piece that was missing. So because of the clinical trial, I had to go and get tested every three months for two years. So I am extremely well-documented. I'm documented from here to Timbuktu. With
0: the, with the scans, and they showed that the tumor started to shrink when you started the Collies toxin.
1: Well, I went to Mexico in in March. I had another CAT scan in April, which showed that the lymphoma had already started growing again. And then that's when I started doing the treatment really intensively at home. And by June, I knew it was working. Wow. A month and- after that a month after that at the end of july i had to go for another cat scan you should see it massive shrinkage everywhere massive shrinkage
0: <laughs> you're you're recalled to life that's the quote from a, a tale of told, two cities dickens
1: yeah. uh, i i still had the the stent up my kidneys you know because right of the issues that the, the cancer was pressing on the ureter. And, um, so when I finally came to the doctor and I said, I wanted that stent out, he didn't want to do it. He says, this never happens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so you, you did this for a year, your scans cleared gradually and you decided yourself that it's time to quit for a while.
1: Well, okay, so it kept shrinking as I was getting the uh, results for the CAT scan and for the for the uh, LDH, which is a marker. And a year later, I became so debilitated from the program that I had put myself through the coleys, that I just couldn't do it. I, I, you know, I kept coles in my fridge and I would look at it and I would start feeling (laughs) nauseous. You know, wow. I, I just couldn't do it anymore.
0: Did you have scanned evidence of lymphoma at the time you quit?
1: I still we had
0: still, some. Yeah. And so and you quit and you haven't had any treatment of any kind since. Right.
1: OK, well, the story doesn't quite end there. <laughs> I told you it was complicated. Go ahead. <laughs> so so I quit and eventually uh because I wasn't doing it anymore uh i mean the, the 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 legend says that you need to bring it to full remission with colleagues and then treat for 6 months 5 or 6 months to solidify the cure i didn't believe in the cure at that time uh but i was keeping my mind open Uh, So anyway, so I quit, and then eventually it showed up on the CAT scans that the cancer was starting to grow again. It it was small compared to what I had before. It wasn't bothering me in any way. But I was concerned that if I let it go for a while, it might cause problems. And my doctor in Denver recommended that... uh, uh, that a new treatment had, a new old treatment had come online that I could try. Uh, It was called bendamustine. It was an old East German drug that had just been approved uh, in in America for treatment. And so the fall of that year, I did four treatments with bendamustine. Uh, It I couldn't. I there was supposed to do six, but I couldn't finish it. Uh, the doctor was very careful, watching all my all my blood signs, and he saw some danger signs, and he says that's it. Uh, For f- we cannot do any more than four.
0: Well, and, we don't want to minimize the expertise of these cancer doctors because they face uh, the entire spectrum of internal medicine, every freaking thing you can imagine, and the good ones know their medicine better than practically anybody and they're very caring they deal with difficult situations that are you know but uh some of them just sort of seem to have turned into uh uh you know financial machines and they don't really care about the patients but uh but you sound like you found some really good guys
1: i my doctors were a mixed bunch uh they were mostly technicians but competent and but the last doctor that I found in Denver, he was Burmese, uh, was an amazing man. Uh, when I came to see him and I had tumors all over my belly, like I told you, he he examined me and he says, I will never give up on you. I That's mean, a wonderful thing to hear. Can you imagine having a doctor like that? It It was Sorry. like a miracle.
0: So I, I keep trying to cut to the chase, but there is no chase. It's a long story. So the, so this guy treated you with this uh, quasi-conventional therapy for another three to six months, and then you stopped, and you're, you've been fine since.
1: So I think I had been must mastine for like three months, period, uh, only four of them, and then he thought it was too dangerous to, to continue, and... Uh, I lost some hair. Uh, Bendamustin doesn't make you completely bald. Uh, and the the drawback from Bendamustin was that my blood results were refusing to normalize. And after three or four months, I was really worried that I was getting one of those, uh, I forget what the term is, it's a syndrome where your your bloods just don't normalize and eventually you catch uh, you 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 develop leukemia and die. That's what happens after chemo sometimes. Um, there's a you know i'm I'm not up on the terms anymore <laughs> there's a name for it uh, so so the people in Canada that were my colleague' support team. Uh, said, "Well, why don't you start Col again and see if it'll, that'll normalize you and that'll get because I had full remission out of Bendamustine for the first time ever after bexar, I had full remission uh,
0: whatever so that the- means all the nodules all the nodules went away they were no longer visible.
1: Exactly. Uh, it was there were all there was only minor involvement after the collies. Uh so the Bendamustin was able to mop up whatever there was and I had full remission at that point. So
0: how long they did you go back me on the collies?
1: transplant in in Bethesda and I declined it.
0: Yeah, that we won't, we won't editorialize about that, but the mortality rate with the bone marrow, which where they wipe out your bone marrow and retransplant you—that's the, what they do essentially. You're in the hospital for months. Uh, the mortality or the death rate is from 10% to what, just from the procedure?
1: Well, at that time they had tried to get a match for me, and they were still struggling with that. I didn't have any suitable relatives, and so. Uh, Given given my history, I figured that the, the the odds were about 50-50 that they were going to kill me.
0: <laughs> well so, anyway, those are bad odds. So those bad okay, trying so try to saying, summarize.
1: <laughs> you know, one one rule I always had from the beginning after I was diagnosed was that I was not going to let the doctors kill me. I would rather that the cancer kill me. <laughs>
0: Good, good. Wonderful philosophy. So you went through this last chemo, then you did the coles for how long? Another six months?
1: So I did the uh after I realized that I was not getting better, better, not normalizing. I did it for five or six months after that and really just hitting it hard, as hard as I could every few days uh, and by the end of August that year, I had blood blood work done, and it had all normalized all of a sudden.
0: What what year was that? What year it was, was that?
1: That was uh,
0: 2011. So you've been fine for over a decade now.
1: Yes, that was the last I the, I got the remission in the fall of 2000, uh, 2010. And then I did the Coleys, and then I've never done anything else since then.
0: How much money did the coles cost total? Zero. <laughs> no, come on. The doctors charged you, didn't they?
1: The Canadian laboratory made it free for patients. It costs money to go to that hospital in Tijuana, uh, but it didn't cost anything for the toxins.
0: Well, you said they weren't available now, but I was doing some digging online, and I think they are available, uh, and the, the listeners can find it if they want to try this sort of thing. What other cancers have worked well for colleagues besides uh, lymphomas?
1: Uh, I heard that the hospital was getting... Re- really good results for uh, metastatic breast cancer. Uh, They tried it for uh, pancreatic, but there wasn't enough time. People usually wait too long and you you need three months for colleagues to work. And if you don't have those three months, it's not worth it.
0: Well, there are a number of interesting lessons we can draw from your story. Uh, but first, before we do that, um, what other uh, important points do you want to bring out?
1: You, go, you gotta be, you gotta be stubborn and courageous to do this treatment. It's very hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it works.
0: Well that I was sort of going to say something like that i i was going to say that you have to learn everything you can because no one is going to advocate for you because so many people have conflicts of interest and that's the kind way of putting it the, the putting that they've been bribed by the industry to um to give these expensive drugs and rip the insurance and our whole our whole society off for uh, these hundreds of thousands of dollars i mean these treatments cost a hundred thousand dollars a year for cancer treatments on average maybe more now there are some treatments that are half a million dollars a year and uh, and the, the financial incentives are so high that they've, they've essentially bought the whole system they bought the hospitals they bought the doctors and the the patients families are even sometimes paid off i mean it's just it's just and it's crazy. So the the second thing that it's I wanted to Coley, emphasize, go ahead.
1: Do, Dr. Coley uh, grew it on a piece of meat, like I said. It's and and the man who was who had the lab in Canada producing these toxins, he said it's it's very inexpensive to produce it. Uh, he had a state-of-the-art lab and and microfilters and all that, but you know it's the same process.
0: These are sterile, right? They're not, they're, they're sterilized. They're not, there's no bacteria in coles toxins. They just are the bacterial and the, uh, you know, the, the, the beef uh, exudate from the, the cows.
1: Exactly, it's the exudate.
0: Interesting, so of course the, <laughs> the thing that's obvious to everyone listening is that you're an unusual person, an unusually positive attitude. Did you have this kind of a positive attitude your whole life?
1: no i I tend to depression at times, so I can't say that but uh you know when 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 they tell you you're dying, you're very motivated to do something about it <laughs> you,
0: you know you get through an experience like this, and nothing seems difficult. I'm sure
1: I couldn't hear you
0: you you get through an experience like this, and nothing ever seems difficult again, I'm sure
1: well it's like everything else is icing on the cake i should have been dead 20 years ago
0: (laughs) it's a wonderful story vera and i'm going to continue to try to um to present some alternatives to standard therapy the holistic thing the alternative doctors and it's just a disgrace that this stuff doesn't populate our therapeutic armamentarium right now it's it's crazy and I mean, I think it's better than the standard therapies. Although certainly the last point is that you used a combination of standard therapy and the alternative therapy, and maybe that is what got you here. I mean, who knows? No way to tell for sure. It's one one story.
1: I've done everything. I, I never excluded standard therapy. I never excluded clinical trials. I, I combined everything that I had available to me.
0: Vera, I'm grateful for your time, and I'm sure my listeners are going to love this one. So let me sign off and we can chat for a moment. Thank you, Thank Dr. Yahoo. Yeah. Okay.